So I just finished up this series, like, I don't know, probably 10 minutes before we got on here. Nice. Mm -hmm. Not the notes done, but I I think I ravaged the first six issues pretty, pretty thoroughly. Like I went through in about an hour, hour and a half and read them. Easy read. And it, yeah, it ain't hard. This it, might it, just be the best thing we've read all year. Like, yeah. I'm not even joking about that. No one turned into a building. <laughs> the universe wasn't collapsing. Syphilis didn't wipe out the Marvel universe. There was nothing about this that I couldn't follow. It was fantastic. I understood people's motivations. I understood the plots. When things changed, I was able to follow it. I, I really enjoyed the personalities of these characters. I want to. I, like as soon as I finished it, I ran to the computer and I added volume two to my wish list. And I mean, we, and who knows if they're going to even do a runaway season two? But if they do, we're doing that. It's fucking mm-hmm. awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let me do four more introductions here, ladies and gentlemen. This is source material, as if you couldn't tell. We're we're talking the Runaways series from Brian K. Vaughn came out in 2003, and we're getting prepared for we're we're synergizing a little bit here with the recent uh, the recent release of the Runaway series on Hulu. Okay, so Runaways is going to be dropping, I assume, next week, right? Tomorrow. tomorrow. I told you tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there's hang uh, on, hang on. We have an interloper. We have an okay. interloper who's who's interfering in the source material podcast. What do you want, Jonas? Jonas. Jonas is hungry. You hear that, fellas? Jonas, Jonas okay. is hungry. What do you want to eat, man? Too it's, bad. It's nine eighteen on the East Coast. I know. I know what, what time it is. What do you want what, to eat? What do you want, Jonas? What are you hungry for? Cereal. Stop skipping around the living room and talk to me. What do we actually have? Why don't you get a piece of cheese? Cheese. Oh, cheese. cheese stick, man. Yeah. Either one that makes you happy. All right, we can get back to the show now. In order to get ourselves primed and ready for this release, we have decided to go back and grab the 2003 series Runaways. And Mark says we were going to do all 18 issues, which is a first right here on the Source Material Podcast. These are the most... Possibly a last. (laughs) (laughs) These are the most most issues I've ever covered on here. Uh, So there's... They did a good job of splitting up the story amongst the issues. What we have is we have... What did I say? Four? There's there's four stories. Uh, We have the the first story, which is called Pride and Joy. Then we have Teenage Wasteland, Mm -hmm. Lost and Found. And the final conclusion of the 18 issues, the last six issues, are The Good Die Young. So we have we have all that, and then we got an epilogue issue. I said six, it's five issues, and then it's an epilogue issue at the end. Um, so what we want to do, synopsis, and then you guys chime in with your talking point. Ronnie, I think you got the first one. I take the second one, and then I think Mark uh, is going to do the third one, which is Lost and Found. And then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll all give our final thoughts after I synopsis the finale conclusion of this. Cool. So – Brian K. Vaughn, Mark, look at look there real quick. Does it have the full name of the artist? Because I think it's the same artist straight through here. 
Okay. Uh, pencils. Adrian Elfona does 1 through 10 and 13 through 18. Takeshi Miyazawa yeah. is 11 and 12. I recognize and the name. That's that. Okay. Okay. Ronnie, before we get into it, I know you've been kind of a Runaways fan. For mm. you've, you've talked about this series mm-hmm. a lot. Josh Calandras, uh, actually... I think it was Josh that uh, suggested this to me. And uh, Brian K. Vaughn is, I'm a, I'm a fan of whatever Brian K. Vaughn writes just about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I've read a lot of his stuff and we did, we've actually done a couple of uh, books of, of his on here. Why the last man? Why the last man. And that was with uh, Calanders uh, and his wife. That was a lot of fun. He's an extremely talented writer. This, I'm a sucker for, for like the stupid teenage dramas. That's why I like the new Archie so much. But, uh, and I was, I was horribly addicted to Friday Night Lights when it was, <laughs> when it was on. It, it, but, but honestly, this storyline is so good and it was so original and so fresh that I'm really, it was, it was just so different from anything I'd read. Uh, that's why I liked it so much. Um, yeah, it was. It was a middle. I mean, we're, we're talking two thousand three Marvel. Yeah, I, I forgot that it was fourteen years old. Fourteen years old. Yeah, dude. We Marvel was just kind of. I don't. I, I don't know how Marvel was doing at around that time. I do it, know about normal. I mean, it's just it was there. We had know? the ultimate. Yeah, we had the ultimate line going, and yeah. Uh, I don't know if this was the first thing that he wrote for Marvel, but it was definitely one of the more prominent ones he wrote. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I said, it was just, it was original. It was a idea that I really never, I didn't think it was something I I would never think would work, Mm -hmm. I guess, or uh, something I wouldn't be interested in. And I, I was, after the first issue, I was just engrossed. I loved it. Uh, it was well done. Uh, just just another nod to Brian K. Vaughn here, because I know I've mentioned this on the Why the Last Man. Uh, he has his hand, had his hand involved in television as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, Lost. Yes, that's right, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Lost, 2006 to 2009. And a, a series that me and my wife binge watched. Matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine today. And he says, I told him, I said, yeah, we, we used Amazon Prime to binge Under the Dome. So I didn't need to watch that. Was it well, good? You will, you'll love the first season. The first uh-huh. season will blow you away. And then you can watch how fast it goes down shortly oh. thereafter. <laughs> oh, Don't wonderful. set your sights too high on the on the conclusion and how it all ends. But I'll tell you right now, yeah. it's a once you watch that first episode, you're like, oh, damn. So anyway, mm-hmm. there you go. Brian K. Vaughn, television, comics. Let's go ahead. We'll kind of get into the story. Mark, I assume this is a creator. You probably just heard me and some of the other guys on Source Material talk about. You ever heard of Brian K. Vaughn outside of our circle here? No, and I'm going to say this nicely. Like, I heard your Michael Bendis show. Brian, yeah. I'm sorry, my, Brian Michael Bendis. It's it John like- Stewart. <laughs> John Jones. John Stewart. And, Call and, back and, to the last episode, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you guys talk about the guy with with such relish and appreciation and everything else. You guys follow some of these writers and artists like I follow bands. Mm-hmm. And I and I can't like it, it just doesn't stick with me. Like, do you have a favorite author of a book? I mean, not a comic book. I'm just talking about a book no. in general. No, I read. Well, no, well, I just I, learned I should... to read two years ago. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Um, actually, I say when I was reading nonfiction, there was a. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, easy. 
Don't take Ronnie out of fantasy land. Yeah. There was a, there was a couple of nonfiction authors that I really enjoyed their stuff. The guy that wrote The End of Poverty, uh, I would read anything that he wrote. In the beginning, especially after you know, like shortly after 9-11, the, the few years after that, I uh, I would read a lot of like conservative authors, and anytime they dropped a book, I would I would go pick it up. Mm-hmm. But since then, I would say no. I'm mostly a I, if it looks good, I'll read it, and I don't necessarily care who the author is. And that's what's happened with comic books. It's that a lot of stuff I'm reading now is based on whatever's dropping on television or in the movies. But as as we all know, because I am the schedule. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, he is. However, no, I'm more into what's the story about, and I don't even. It's like it doesn't even click with me who the author or who the illustrator is. Okay, all right. Well, let me put it like this. You know how. Each band that you listen to, you there's something about their style that you like, whether it's the guitar or the drums or or the singer. It's the same way with me with um, with authors of, of, of these books. I like Bendis's mixture of humor and um, and he he can find humor in anything in these books. He was really good with Spider Man. Michael J. Straczynski. I can't say his name. Try that again. <laughs> All right. Would great, you like to buy a vowel? You know, <laughs> had a good run on. Uh, he was great on on you know on his Spider Man run. And then you got Brian K. Vaughn who can just spin a story out of anything. I mean, yeah. you take two of the weirdest ideas. You know, these kids on Runaway are uh, are literally the last man on Earth who's an absolute loser, but you 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 love him. You know, by the end, and you and you <laughs> and makes him pretty much. <laughs> the only man on earth by the end of the book. By why, you're uh, talking about why the last man? Why the last man? And yeah. so it, it, he's just—I mean—he's just blessed with the with the with the gift of telling a story. Oh, we did cover. We covered a Brian K. Vaughn book on here before. Mm-hmm. Also, Doctor Strange: The Oath. The Oath. The Oath is one of the one of the uh, Doctor Strange books that I mean, I like Doctor Strange and I've read some of his stuff, but that's one of the ones that really stuck out to me. I, yeah. I really love that. Um, okay, so, so it's just. You, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. Would you now? You know, there are characters you like. There are characters you don't particularly care for, or don't you know you don't know anything about. Have you ever read a book? For a character solely based on I like the author, like you know this character, this character is the shits, but this author took it over, so oh. I'm reading it. <sighs> uh, offhand, I can't think of any, but uh, Runaways I knew nothing about, but because okay. somebody suggested it and I knew who Brian K. Vaughn was, I I read it and I loved it. Jason Aaron would be a great example for me. I heard a now. Here's the thing, though. I I don't really. I can't say that I had a whole lot of experience reading what he had, what he had put out there. So maybe, maybe this ain't the greatest example. I can tell you though, he was the one that re- wrote the God Butcher uh, for Thor, yeah. and I have read nothing. Right? Nothing yeah, there you go. Thor. I was like, okay, I've got to check. I, I, I'll check this out because this guy wrote it. Now, a lot of that was because of word of mouth praise as well. So I guess really that's not a good example because, but however. I have kept my eyes open for other Jason Aaron books. E- even if it's a crap character, his take on it and how he wrote a, a character that I did not have want anything to do with. He wrote a story that made it interesting and a, a great read. So if he can do that with something I'm not too custom with, I- I'll gladly give it a chance on another on, on another uh, character. I do have one example. Okay. 
Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. He took a team that I was familiar with back in the 80s. But, you know, you had like Charlie 23. and But if you're familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the 80s team, you know, I mean, I think they, they debuted in the 60s. They were kind of a, you know, it's just one of those teams that's like, really, these guys? You, you're, you're redoing these guys? So I picked it up because Bendis wrote it. <laughs> You know, and or, or that that really had an impact impact on me reading it uh, at least. Uh, you know, a big impact on me picking it up and 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 going all the way through it. And uh, of course, the the whole team changed, but Bendis did a great job with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, if I had if I had gone with what I used to know, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have read it. Oh, Yondu was in there too, but he was a completely different Yondu than what you know. You know, uh, Yondu was was a was not a Ravager. He was, it was strictly a, a Guardian, um, and he was more of a like they based him more on like a Native American kind of character. So that was Bendis brought you to that book. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that yeah. There you go. And it takes a while, Mark. I mean, shoot. I wish I could say I read. No, Mark. You're by the next time we record, you better have a favorite <laughs> author. <laughs> Uh, Brian Michael Bendis. That's you. That's mine. You can't take mine. Jeff Johns. Ooh, that's crap. You can't take crap. Oh, God damn I'm it! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Johns is actually good. Yeah, I was gonna say Jeff Johns, Blackest Night. Yeah, he's actually good. That was good. That was good stuff. All right, let's get into this. Let's get into this. The meat of this. We got 18 issues, and here we are, 9:32. Lord God, why did you let me talk? Well, that's all right because I'm gonna I'm gonna synopsis. We'll we'll get through it. We'll rock it through this here real quick. Okay, Brian K. Vaughn, just like we said and we already gave the artist blah 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 let's talk about the story all right 18 issues in this first is well complete volume of this i want to introduce our runaways here and ronnie you you step in or mark you step in and correct me uh for there's any details i leave out but uh we have these these children okay and i want to give you guys the names here and and kind of who they are uh we have gertrude who is the plump purple haired teen who has a psychic link or the gen- genetically modified dinosaur named old lace daughter to a time traveling duo that wish to undo the countless futures that they have seen where overage superheroes continue to batter one another. Uh, we have chase Stein who is a son to a scientist husband. Uh, I guess I would say super villain scientist, husband and wife. Uh, he is the welder. Mm-hmm of the x-ray goggles and i don't know if he had a specific name for the goggles but the, he had the gauntlets which were called the fistagons the fistagons <laughs> then we have 11 year old molly who is a mutant uh she is the daughter of a mutant couple and she has super strength then we have nico who is a teen sorceress daughter uh, to two magicians and then carol i'm gonna pronounce it carolina sure uh looks like carolina daughter of two aliens who have made earth their home and have become successful in hollywood uh carolina actually possesses the power of rainbow light which i i i said rainbow light <laughs> is, is that rainbow bright <laughs> I, I don't know what did they say what her specific powers were other than she was just she could like weaponize this light that she possessed it's solar it was a solar power okay there yeah okay mm-hmm. then we have Alex Wilder uh, the powerless but ever book smart teen Alex Wilder is the son of Black Kingpin <laughs> uh, we, we we dumb it down oh, for you right. here on source material <laughs> uh, well, okay and that and i think that's it right Am I there's that is. there's five of them right? i dropped out for a second so i'm sure gertrude chase molly nico carol carolina and alex 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So there you go. There's our kids. Now let's go ahead and we'll talk about the first story arc here, Pride and Joy. Now our kids, th- these kids are brought together like once a year and their parents, they live under the guise that they're philanthropists almost. Uh, so the kids don't know what their, their family get into. And once a year, their families get together. So the kids have known each other for quite a while. The parents trot off to a room in this house to discuss their charitable donations that they're going to be doing uh, for the next year while the kids all hang out, play in the game room and, you know, do whatever kids do. Well, this particular year, the kids discover that their parents are actually supervillains, specifically when they find a secret passage down to the room where their parents have gathered and they witness them sacrifice a young girl. Uh, the kids come together later that night after that, after they witness this and decide on what to do. A call to the cops yields no interest. So they realize now that they need proof. Remembering that the body of the girl that their, their parents killed was put into a trunk and taken to Gertrude's house. They are off in search of evidence there. Finding a secret door, they open it to reveal a dinosaur with a coded book as well. Holograms of Gert's parents explain that the dinosaur, soon to be named Old Lace, will respond to her mental commands. And their story almost all but confirms Gert's parents have been leading a life she was not aware of. So again, these kids were, number one, in all, they, they couldn't believe that their parents had done what actually happened. And didn't. finally, they're starting to get kind of some semblance that their parents have been leading double lives for quite a while. Now, heading to Carolina's house, they find her, her parents they, going through all their stuff while they were out of town. They actually find her parents' will and testament. Uh, the last page of which whole leads the kids to removing Carolina uh, Carolina's medical alert bracelet. Okay, so they they see this last page. It just has a picture of the the thing you would usually see on a medical alert bracelet with a big Ghostbuster symbol. I remember Chase. He's like, "What's with the Ghostbuster symbol around it?" Anyway, a big a big red with a li- <laughs> a big red circle with a line through it. They figure out, okay, well we need to take her bracelet off because it's the same symbol. So they take her bracelet off, and when she does that, she begins to glow. And we soon find out that the kids this. This, this kid has got superpowers. Mm-hmm. The kid's call to the police has also taken a turn. When they called the police, even though there wasn't any interest, word has gotten back to Alex's dad. So the super, the, the kingpin, the black kingpin, as Mark calls him, of the black kingpin of the West Coast is now. I'm sorry, he's, I'm sorry, he's not black. Did I no, misspeak? No, no. I I just said as you call him. I, all right. Him. All right, sassy. <laughs> So, like, that's racist. I'm sorry, the African American kingpin. No one called you a racist. Yeah, it was implied. Alex's dad. Alex's dad. (laughs) Alex's dad gets word that the cops were called. One more time. I was really waiting to go stop stop fighting you two you're both pretty (laughs) the kids that now now the kids have to actually get together and tell the little one when this occurred they took Molly out of the room but before they do that they decide to go over to Chase's house and and search his property to find out any more clues as to what their parents are into now while I'm investigating a shed slash lab Chase finds these insane gauntlets of power called the fistigons and he puts them on uh, Nico and Chase's parents actually arrive when they're doing that and the children let them know they're aware of what happened and of 
A fight ensues. During the scuffle, Nico's mom attempts to subdue her with a staff, which is called the Staff of One. Uh, however, it absorbs into Nico's body. Escaping, the kids hop into Chase's van. Uh, a short time later, Gert's phone rings, and her parents are on the other end telling her all they, uh, they all need to stop or something bad's going to happen. What we find out is that their parents are threatening Molly. Molly, who isn't with them at the time, is back home, and all the parents have gathered in Molly's room while she's sleeping and are threatening her life over the phone. So the, the runaways now have to make a decision as to whether they're going to stop what they're doing or attempt to rescue Molly. They decide to try and rescue Molly. There's another scuffle, and when Nico knocks Molly's mom out, Molly awakes with fury in her eyes and some nascent powers that seem to be appearing, her super strength. The rest of the kids attempt to explain what happens to Molly when Carolina's mom comes in and threatens to kill Gertrude. Molly then gets out of her bed and shoves Carolina's mom through the house. So this girl, 11 years old, but she is extremely powerful. Fishing her out of the pool, the runaways grab a ring from Carolina's mom's finger, uh, which may be the Dakota ring for this book that they had found back in Gertrude's house. The plan to go to the cops is foiled again when Alex's dad, Alex's dad, makes him aware that <laughs> Alex is now... <laughs> Alex is now... <laughs> Alex's dad, uh, he he tells Alex, he's like, look, stop going to the police. All right. Take a look at your, you know, turn on your radio. Take a look at the television. The story has gotten out that Alex is now wanted for the murder of that same girl they watched get killed by their own parents that night. The pride as they, these cadre of supervillains come to call themselves. Uh, and they're also wanted for the kidnapping of Molly. Not only that, but it appears there may be someone in the group of children that remain loyal to their parents, as, in, as indicated by an unsigned letter left behind. The runaway's only option right now is to fall off the face of the earth, and thanks to Chase's hostile cave, which, you know, that, that, that movie kind of puts a negative connotation on that, but <laughs> Chase's hostile cave, uh, they do just that. They find, they find a safe haven. And we end the first six issues with the kids still trying to figure out what their next step is just after they get their code names figured out. All right, Pride and Joy. It's our introduction to the Runaways and the Pride. Mar uh, no, it's Ronnie, Ronnie Adams. Uh, mm -hmm. what, I mean, tell me, what, what, what do you think? What do you think of this? What do you got to say? Um, it, yeah, this is what had me because when they first show up and everybody is in the you know mid-2000s Ring of Honor gear of red and black. Um, <laughs> It, it, I mean, everybody, I was like, you know, they're all in a circle and they're all kind of like, you know, it looks like some sort of nefarious, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a ritual. 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 Yep. And then they bring the girl out. But they're all, they, at first, the, the kids think that their parents are superheroes. Yeah. Because when you're first introduced to Alex, he's playing uh, an MMO, MMORPG where he's Captain America. So he's got a fascination with superheroes anyway. And now he's like, oh my gosh, our parents are superheroes. And then they stab a girl in the chest. <laughs> and they're like, wait, hold on. Oh, uh, yeah. So it, it, their their world comes crashing down, and they do it, it, it. They 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 really capture you know the thought of a teenager. So what in a teenager's mind was the only thing to do is well, you get the heck out of Dodge, you run away. Yeah. So and each of these characters was so you know they they really went through the whole Marvel universe in my opinion on the types 
of superheroes that they could have in these kids. You have uh, you have your mutant, which is Molly. You know, her parents are mutants, and then you have your alien, which is which is uh, uh, the Carolina. Uh, Carolina, thank you. And then you have your time travelers, which is Gertrude. And then you uh, have uh, let me just your, before uh, I before we continue real quick, I just want to say I'm going to be very upset when we watch the show tomorrow and we find out her name is pronounced Carolina. We'll go ahead and continue. <laughs> That's probably what that is exactly what's going to happen. Go ahead. I'm going to be I'm going to be depressed with no dinosaur on the show. Oh, dude. There is a dinosaur on the show. There better be. There is. Okay. I was, yeah, I was going to say there better be. I've seen it on the on the previews. Sweet. They show old days. Yeah. Okay. Um but um and then you have your uh super time smart, travelers. you know. Tra- time travelers, your uh your super intelligent people, your I mean your professors or your your doctors or your Tony Stark. Uh, your Tony Starks and then you've got your black kingpin (laughs) (laughs) so wait we've got we've got uh industrialists aliens mutants blacks got it (laughs) but um but but he ends up being the captain america of the group in the anyway because he's the one without powers he has to rely on his wits he has to rely on being you know being him uh, which is what Captain America, you know, mostly does anyway, because he doesn't really have the super soldier serum uh, mm-hmm. to make him super strong or anything like that anymore. Just uh, it just curbs his age, which is pretty cool in its own right. But, you know, so he it's it's really cool that he's obsessed with Captain America and these superheroes. And he ends up being the Captain America of his little superhero group. The thing that really caught caught my attention that made me want to continue is just the fact that they did get the heck out of Dodge. It kind of ties you into that drama of of, you know, what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? How is this going to turn out? Where are they going to live? This is ridiculous. These are, you know, these are just children. It, it just, the story lays itself out. And uh, I, I loved it. Like I said, it, there were so many questions after this, you know, how are they going to stay on the run from their parents who are these powerful, powerful, uh, this group of powerful supervillains. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're powerful because they do run, you know, everybody... Every time there's a, there's, uh, you know, something happens, something threatens the world. It happens in New York. You don't hear, really hear much about the West Coast unless it was, a, unless it was Avengers West Coast. Mm-hmm. And we know how that turned out. They are no longer a book. Yeah. Um, that's By the way, did you, you remember they actually referenced, um, it was Wonder Man, who, of course, was a Hollywood actor. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons why I was hooked. It's like, I, I gotta know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. so it's it a was, unique story. It's a it's unique, a story very unique story for these kids to get to up and just leave their super villain. And they, they, everything's running against them. They, they call the cops cops like, yeah, whatever. And cops then, work for their, their, their parents. Yeah. The cops are, then you find out the cops are working for their parents. What are these kids going to do? Who are they going to turn to? How are they going to live? Uh, and they tried to call the Avengers. Yeah, they kept getting the hotline. Yeah, they kept getting the Avengers hotline. Yep. And they, one of them said, well, they'd never do anything anyway. Unless it's like world ending stuff, you're not going to have anybody show up here, which may be the reason for what happens at the end of this book. Right. But uh, (laughs) I love the fact that this was a lived in Marvel universe. Yeah. You know, like it was because, again, you know, and I I brought this up in, in a way with the Dark Side War thing. It's like these stories tend to become so ridiculous and so epic that you do lose a sense of this should be about people, the little people, 
You know, the, the it's like the Avengers and the, the Justice League and everybody are so busy taking on these huge things. You really do lose a sense that at the end of the day, it's about saving people. And I, and even in the movies, it's like that. It, like, you know, Man of Steel. It, it, I was just going to say Man of Steel. Man <laughs> of Steel is, you know, is dealing with these overarching religious issues and the issues of what does it mean to be human and versus you know and all this other stuff and it's just like okay but does he ever actually save anyone you know it's like i mean i don't want to get into the leveled metropolis (laughs) i don't want to everyone in it i don't want to get into a review of justice league but that was the first time like superman ever looks like he's enjoying saving people right you know in in both man of steel and uh dawn of justice it was like this is a burden i don't want this this. I I just wanted to be a farmer, you know. Well, Zack Snyder. Okay, real quick. I just this, I have to say this. Zack Snyder. When he makes a movie, it's all sepia tone and all like uh, depressing, and and you, you question your existence, and yeah. and then you you go home and drink after a Zack Snyder movie. But <laughs> uh, but when the reshoots, you, you had to do it. Uh, Joss Whedon had to have done this. Um, there's humor. There's color. There's you know people are actually enjoying being superheroes. I have I can lift the entire planet over my head so i'm gonna smile a little bit kind of a deal <laughs> so i i enjoyed that part of it. so what i liked about this book and you know and it, and, it, and it sets the tone right from the beginning is that yes this is a world where we have uh mutants and aliens and gods and and everything else but the you still have a sense that this is a lived-in world with real people who are coping with that with that life you guys know yeah. do you guys understand what i mean by that yeah, we have. absolutely yeah so i i love the fact that the first panel is this kid playing a a role-playing game with marvel superheroes who are you know who are part of his real life existence number one i love the tacit recognition that everything happens in new york and nothing happens in los angeles so this is ripe for takeover by criminals i thought that was great and again we're we're so used to dealing with overpowered heroes i mean for captain america's a guy with no with no powers but i'm pretty sure he could kick the shit out of anyone you know yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically everybody knows that he's like the best hand-to-hand combatant in the Marvel yeah. universe. It's every, it's like all of the major Marvel superheroes are tenth level fucking Amazon magicians. They can do anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. So, so I it was nice to see a situation where you have people who don't know they have powers, and when they do have them, they don't know how to use them, mm-hmm. and they're struggling, but they're struggling while trying to keep ahead of their parents who are going to kill them if they don't knock it off. If they don't <laughs> knock off the as my son says, if they don't stop the commotion. There's here's so. the thing. There, there's a very real kind of tension, obviously. Okay, are these supervillains bad? Bad enough to actually kill their own children or are they loving parents and i think that is explored very well yeah there's that whole dynamic like okay these are yeah. actually somebody's kids they are kids i mean no matter how much you want to whip the shit out of your son for spilling two gallons of milk all over the floor yes it's happened to me you say <laughs> you this is oddly specific you have to <laughs> Are you going to become that supervillain? So these people, are are they evil enough to do this stuff to their own kids? And they play with that dynamic very well. 
well, but go ahead. Well, they, they also uh, toyed with, you know, certain ones were, were, were those supervillains, you know, they may not have cared about the world around them, but by God, they care about their kids. That's right. Family, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, Nico's, you know, uh, sister Graham's parents seem to, to love her and want to, you know, or at least her mom does want to, you know, make sure she's, she's okay. And then Gertrude's family seems like that. And Molly's family, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Chase's family. His dad is an abusive piece of crap anyway. Who's, mm-hmm. You know, we're introduced to the family. You know, we're introduced to these characters by uh, Chase pun- uh, Chase's dad punching him in the face. Just because he made a C, he made straight C, so he knocked me, you know, he knocks him around, which is, you know, automatically for me, I was like, this guy is a piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but dude has got to get his come up and send this. Um, and I love, but, I love Carolina in this. She discovers that she's an alien with these uh, solar powered, solar superpowers. And she's like, I don't even want this. Right. You know, yeah, like, she thinks she, she's like, a mutant at first. Mm hmm. And then when she discovers she's an alien, she's then she you know freaks out again. Ah! Right. You know, I mean, there's that really great panel of her flying, but outside of that, she, you know, you could absolutely believe she's the mole. Oh you know? yeah. And that was another thing I wanted to touch on was a great little subplot of this is well, which one of these idiots is mm. the mole? You could absolutely believe it might be Molly, it might be Carolina. Like I don't want to give away the ending here, but you absolutely don't think it's the one who it actually is right because they, they make it seem plausible it could be anybody else but that one character hey, you're pretty safe in saying that it's it's not chase because uh, well at least i thought i was you know i was safe in saying that. no i thought it was plausible that he was he's the yeah. one that keeps insisting they go to the labrea tar pits and go into his cave which is a great place to set up an ambush Okay, yeah, uh, but also there's that whole, you know, I, the reason I didn't think it was him at first was because of the abuse issue. Yeah, the way his dad treated what, him. But then again, the you got dad, the, But then again, he could seek his dad's approval exactly. by in the other kids. Exactly. A lot of different levels played on here, which makes it even that much more of a great story. Okay. I, I have to say, like... I, I made the comment after listening to the Dark Side podcast that it's source material where comic book fans shit on comics. <laughs> and, and and I have thought back to so much of what we've read this year, you know, whether it was Tarzan and the Planet of the Apes or Dark Side War yes. or Iron Fist, the the living weapon, you know, where we were just like, this is give- wacky race land. This is giving me a nosebleed. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> this comic book. There, there were several of these shows where Ronnie had to go into the shower with his clothes on and, you know, <laughs> and weep openly. He's in the corner. He's in the corner. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I hate you, Mark. Fetus posi- fetal position. <laughs> and it was really, really, like, refreshing to get a book where everything makes sense right from the beginning. Yeah. These are all likable characters. The, I mean, it, I've, I'm so... Just the first part of this book, which is what we're talking about, made me so happy to read it. Like, I, I honestly haven't felt this good about a book in a, in, that we've talked about in a long time. It's good to hear. Good to hear. As it, <laughs> Brian came on, a great writer. Yeah, me, I was super Ryan. excited when you said you wanted to do this. Yeah. <clears throat> and I didn't even I didn't even blink at 18 issues. I was like, let's do it. Because yeah. uh, that makes that, that gives me an excuse to read it all again. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into Teenage Wasteland. This was like a real quick, I think, two issue story, if I remember right, two or three issues. So the parents prepare for war. 
against their own kids while the kids prepare for hiding. Uh, an overwhelming need for food, the kids decide to pull their cash and head to the local gas station slash food store, only to happen upon a robbery in progress. The kids talk themselves into stopping it. However, these are not just any robbers. They also have superpowers, at least it seems. Two of the three <laughs> robbers escape the fray, while the third one is unmasked and revealed to be a teenager who exclaims he was told to do this because of his parents, because his parents told him to, and they're evil. Uh, so Alex extends his hand and we add another to the team. Now, the, the kids barely escape the cops who are coming to that ro armed robbery uh, and they bring their new recruit, Topher, back to the HQ. It says things don't go so well when Nico and Topher hit it off and while yep. alone, they kiss. But unbeknownst to them, Alex, who happens to have a thing for Nico and she sort of has a thing for him as well. Can remember, did they kiss? They kissed prior to yes. this, right? Yeah. She kissed uh, him before um, before they took on the painting. They took off. Okay. Alex is watching them through a painting in the wall. Uh, the addition to, of Topher creates a lot of strife amongst the teens. <laughs> as as love, yeah, no kidding. As love triangles uh, that ex that exist and do not exist are turning the kids against each other. Uh, Nico leaves and heads to the woods where Topher finds her and confesses that the two people that he was with robbing the store were not his parents after all. And as he bears his fangs, he reveals <laughs> that they got their powers from him. You see, Topher's a vampire. Uh, and now he's attempting to turn Nico. Alex, though comes to the rescue. They escape back at the house, but before anyone can leave, Topher arrives. A uh, big battle ensues, and Topher clearly has the advantage. Carolina, Carolina, offers herself to the vampire as a savior and a sacrifice, as she no longer wants to live. When the vampire bites her, her alien blood, which is powered solar power, causes Topher's... He, he explodes, Ronnie. He explodes. <laughs> he explodes. And that's kind of where I left my notes for Teenage Wasteland. So that was, that was just a short, one-off, quick little story. And, they're, they're, you know, nothing really changes other than the fact that there's a little bit of contention between Alex and Nico and the, your typical high school love triangle. So there, there we go. That's Teenage Wasteland. So I, I picked this one. I mean, really, there's not a lot to say about these two issues, which I think was two, two or three. I can't remember. I didn't write down the issues. I wrote down the titles, but I didn't write how many how many issues it was. I think the biggest reveal here. I guess where there's that mistrust between Nico and Alex and the, will they or won't they get together? Uh, that's our that that's kind of where we left there. Uh, we get to see our kids deal with a threat outside of their parents for once and how are they going to handle themselves? Uh, we also get to see the capacity to be to try and do good. You know, the, these are kids who are parent or excuse me, kids. These are children of supervillains. So Ronnie, me and you have talked about nature versus, versus nurture quite a few times on the Source mm -hmm. Material podcast. It, we are the podcast that asked, is it nature or nurture that turns you in the dark side? That, that's right. That turns you, not turns you to the dark side. Does it turn you into dark side? <laughs> Will you become an alien? <laughs> uh, so Baby yeah. dark side. Baby dark side. Hashtag feminism. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, it, this is, We're a silly podcast. They're trying to do good out in the world. They're 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 trying to use their influence and their powers for to at least not to cause any trouble. They could have easily walked in there, 
into that store and rob place. So well, they, they obviously didn't. don't want to be their parents because they feel their parents have. Well, they it's not that they feel they have. Their yeah, parents I mean, have betrayed them. Yeah, and they ran they away from that. Yeah, the, so they don't they don't want to be their parents. So they they use the the abilities and the powers that you know and the skills that they have to to not just do good. They don't want to just do good. They want to help others like them runaways that you know that whose parents have betrayed them in some way. Yeah, I mean a lot of people would view this as a throwaway story. I don't see this as a throwaway story. I see it as a setup. Um, okay. I think it's a fun little, you know, there, there was a lot of heavy issues dealt with in the first six issues of this. So this was a fun little reprieve, a kind of a, a, a breather to, to what was going on. So, okay. And also it could have been a, well, we've, the, the co- they're wanted by the police. Their, their family may or may not want them dead. So what else can we throw at them? A vampire, you know, and it's just—it's just silly enough to work. And once again, it leads to that lived-in universe, Marvel universe, where what's his name? I was going to say Morpheus, but it's not. It's a uh, Morbius. Uh, Morbius, the living vampire. Yeah, and Dracula are real being. You know. Mm-hmm. You don't see vampires show up very much. I mean, I think um, Jubilee was one for a while, or still she may, is. She may still be, yeah. I think this was needed, in all honesty. I, I, I really do. I think there needed to be... Uh, a couple of issues where they could take a break from the main story and give them a different obstacle to deal with. Yeah, this is this is them trying to deal with the real world obstacles that any runaway would probably run into. Uh, how am I going to eat? Yeah. Not only that, but I mean, you know, I think what um, in, in a story like this, it's very easy to forget their kids. True. You know, as you just said, you know, girl, kids in their youth deal with, you know, heartbreak and romance and uh, girls are drama. You know, boys are mostly dumb. And, you know, it's it's, as Patton Oswalt said, boys just punch each other, cry and then forgive each other a minute later and keep playing. You know, girls are a lot of drama. So, I mean, it was kind of fun to see that dynamic on top of the fact that they are still having to deal with the fact that they that they are in fact homeless children mm-hmm. but aside of it this is a comic book story you know they had you had to give them a minute to breathe to kind of get used to their powers because at this point it's just been run 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 you know the this story arc with the vampire gave them an opportunity to at least get used to their powers and i mean look you can only watch the hulk smash thing so many times at some point these stories have to be about people and you know and and their emotions and their feelings and their doubts you know, their wants, their needs. That's good storytelling. Mm, that's good storytelling. That's what I wanted to see in this. Because again, you know, it's I, I tell people at work this all the time, they're like, you know, like, why do you read comic books? I was like, because the good ones are good stories about people. They just happen yeah. to have power. You know, so it's modern myth. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, the that we talk, you know, you hear it in DC all the time, the new gods, the old gods, the the, the Friday gods, the Wednesday gods, you know, whatever. Um <laughs> But that's the thing is that these are our Greek gods, our Roman gods. These are our modern fairy tales and mythologies. But Mm -hmm. what are all those things if not stories about our anxieties, our wishes, our fears put to form? That's why I I keep going back to some of the shit we read this year. It just like they went out of their way 
to tell these really bizarre stories, but I don't, but I feel like they lost a very important element to storytelling is that is you have to be about people. Humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't identify with a lot of what we read this year. This I identified with. All right. Who hasn't been one of those people in that room who hasn't seen the girl they like kiss the boy they want to punch in the fucking throat. I've never seen my wanted... parents murder a wayward young <laughs> girl, but. Oh, I can't help it that you haven't lived, John Ronnie Adams. I mean, my parents were murdered. <laughs> my father was a black kingpin. I don't know if you know that. But, um... I was not aware of that, Mark. Lost and found. Lost and found. All right. So the pride, the cadre, the group of supervillains, supervillain parents, uh, their police contact brings in cloak and dagger. Yeah, that's kind of strange, isn't it? These superheroes mm-hmm. from New York, they bring them in to oh, attempt. What else, were the, what else were they doing at the time? Jesus, it's not like they were part of anything important. <laughs> Who's not busy? Cloak and dagger. Get them. <laughs> They, they bring them in to attempt to find Molly under the guise that she was kidnapped by the Alex and the rest of the runaways. Uh, another a stop, uh, excuse me, another attempt to stop local vandalism by the runaways uh, occurs and it garners the attention of Cloak and Dagger. A quick scuffle later, Cloak has most of the team subdued in his darkness. He reveals to Dagger that he does not feel their souls have the stain of murder upon them, but one has a great darkness. I'll say darkness mm. like five times in that sentence. Um, shortly after this revelation, backup arrives and Old Lace, Gertrude, and Molly. The kids seem to be outmatched when Molly, Princess Powerful herself, rips the cloak off of Cloak's body. <laughs> Dude, when I got to that, that okay. doesn't happen. No, it does not. <laughs> we can joke about Cloak and Dagger all we want. Yeah. Cloak is actually a pretty powerful char- character. He is. And um, he does not get his cloak ripped off. I mean, he was a big player in Civil War. Yep. They've just had crap storylines and, and failed uh, many, uh, series. Yeah. I mean, it's not like every Cloak has faced so many supervillains. And mm-hmm. not not one do I remember. Of course, I can't say that I've read too many, but I'm this right. is a, this is a rare occurrence. Okay, this right. is something that does not happen. Uh, so being anyway, the eleven year old little girl she is, she, <laughs> she's pretty yeah, tough, pretty stout. So she rips the cloak off of Cloak's body and leaves him there, this stuttering mess that he was before the darkness dimension found him. Uh, things pause for a moment as Dagger. Now these guys, you know, Cloak and Dagger have been. I, I, are they romantically? involved here yes. wrong okay all right so uh, they always been- have been to my knowledge okay so i could be wrong but dagger realizes she has to tend to cloak dagger successfully gets cloak back in good shape and gen- and generates his connection with the dark force dimension and brings the rest of the team back out of cloak's cloak they then reveal to cnd cnd cloak and dagger uh their <laughs> <Thanks>. circumstances <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that's who you were talking about. Uh, Now I'm just reading straight off my notes. Then they reveal to Cloak and Dagger their circumstances and plead with them to head to New York and bring back some other superheroes to take down their parents, the Pride. It seems to be going according all to plan until a mole inside the runaways calls the LAPD liaison for the Pride and tells them the location of Cloak and Dagger and and what just occurred. And at the end of the issue, as the runaways are separating from Cloak and Dagger, heading their own way, Cloak and Dagger staying on top of the rooftop, getting ready to teleport back to New York, the Pride quickly go into action, capturing Cloak and dagger before they could leave and wiping their minds from the last 24 hours so that is lost and found mark radlich 
Um, it's fun to see the superheroes that you don't get to see too often uh, show up in this book. And again, it, you this was this was a great way to continue that interconnectivity of the Marvel universe without having to draw on the A list, you know, the top tier guys. Yeah. So Cloak and Dagger are um, at like C and D level superheroes. They're also street level. level. Cloak and Dagger level, yes. <laughs> and that's the new thing. Hashtag Cloak and Dagger level. Um, so yeah, they're on they're on wow. that third tier. <laughs> they're on that third tier. Um and I thought they were a fun part of the story. Actually, my favorite part of their interaction is when one of the runaways calls uh Dagger Dazzler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right at the end, yeah. I love that. I thought that was fantastic. The overarching um, story is them versus the parents, but along the way, they have these other trials and tribulations. So Cloak and Dagger represented a nice little hurdle for them to get over and use their powers. And it was also a great way to deal with the fact that the cops were on the take. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And again, my favorite part was when, he, when she called her Dazzler and then her reaction to it was hilarious. She got good. <laughs> this was clearly a way to kind of tie in that main Marvel universe that we all know and love with the, the inclusion of Cloak and Dagger. And it's cool to see them out there and they finally have the opportunity to tell somebody, hey, you know, my, our parents are super villains. We need somebody to help us. Let's get into the conclusion of this 18 issues story. We're going to run into what is called the good die young. We get initially, I think in our first story here is the origin of the pride. Uh, we, we see that all the parents were summoned by this ancient race of mythical evil giants, the gibberum. And so it takes place back in the 1980s. Now the gibberum come to them and say, listen, we wish to change the world back to a peaceful time, like the past in which we lived in. And in order to do that, they had to call forth six bonded pairs of people in order to destroy all of humanity. Uh, the gibberum say they promise six of those 12 will be selected to stick around afterwards. So half of these people that are coming together will be around after the world gets or humanity gets destroyed, not the world humanity. Uh, later on, after one couple finds out they are going to have a baby, they a all baby. decide baby baby, dark side. not a baby. Dark side. <laughs> they, <laughs> baby dark side. they then all decide to donate their spots to their children. So these six, these six uh, husbands and wives come together and say, well, let's all have kids and they can all have our spots. So it's a very almost in some weird, twisted way noble sacrifice that they're going to do from supervillains from supervillains that's right that's where brian k bond gets you the runaways are then found by the lapd of course it's the ones on the payroll for the pride uh the children barely escape but not before learning that one of them is a mole that is reporting back to their parents the children make a decision to confront their parents i feel the need to explain that since this is a comic book they're not an actual mole (laughs) they are not (laughs) It's it, they mean he means spy. Yes, a spy. Yes, somebody in amongst the ranks has been reporting back to the pride uh, most of their moves. But who could it be? Now the children are confronted with the fact that some of their other, you know, some of their friends may be their enemy. In order to basically get past this, the children make a decision to confront their parents and stop running. While Carolina and Molly's parents meet in private to discuss their plans on killing the other four couples of the pride to guarantee the six spots 
to themselves and their children. So count that up. You got a husband and wife, husband and wife, and a kid and a kid. So six people. So um, it wasn't that honorable after all. No, not for those two. That's that's for sure. And there's no honor amongst thieves. We know all about that. Continuing to decode the book, the I think they call it the abstract that they stole from the pride. The children decide that the final confrontation is going to happen during a ritual called the Rite of Thunder, where their parents, the pride, take the soul of the ch- the, the girl that they killed, uh, I guess, give it or give it over to the gibberum to feed off of. They do this once a year. And it's called the Rite of Thunder. So now the kids know where their parents are going to be and they know how to get the jump on them. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, is that this is thousands of leagues under the Pacific Ocean. So it's not like the gibberum are just hanging out down at the mall. No, they're, they're down underneath the uh, the Pacific Ocean. So they have, to donut fig- shop. <laughs> they have to figure out a way to get down there. Uh, getting down there, the kids fight a sentry that is posted near the entrance. And a, a battle occurs and Chase takes a bad hit and apparently dies. Uh, but wait a second. Thank goodness he's brought back to life due to the quick thinking of Gertrude and her CPR skills. Uh, now he's kind of taken out of the action. I mean, he's definitely taken a bit of a beating, so he's going to sit this one back. Down one member, the team forge ahead to face their parents just before the arrival of the gibberim. During the battle, it is revealed that the mole in the runaways, not an actual mole, but a mole, a spy, (laughs) in the runaways was none other. Are you ready, folks? None other. None other than the least powerful of the bunch. Their leader, Alex Wilder. So, (laughs) Alex was that dramatic enough you don't understand it's Allie yes wilder wilder black kingpin's <laughs> son <laughs> how do we have listeners I, <laughs> uh, yes the, the most what seemed to be the most noble of all uh Alex is revealed to be the one who has been feeding the pride the information and has caused a lot of trouble considering most if not all of the runaways are now out of commission nico who was uh, you know during this battle she was frozen by a spell from her parents alex then talks to her and says look he unfreezes her and he says i've known about this ritual for a year before i showed you guys i i knew what they were doing and for that whole year i just did constant research to understand the ways of the gibberum and realize that they had this plan to wipe the earth, the wipe humanity from the earth. And if he felt it was always something that he could get behind. Uh, so he remained loyal to his parents. The other runaways awaken in a fit of desperation are able to grab a hold of, I think it's Molly who grabs a hold of the box that contains the soul of this girl that was murdered. And she crushes it, releasing the soul and the soul escapes, she goes straight up into the air, out of the ocean. Just when the gibberum wa- arrive, <laughs> the jabberwocky, uh, the gibberum, <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Just when the big giants show up after seeing this happen, uh, they decide that their face, man, I swear their faith in these humans has all been for naught. And they decide to go ahead and kill all of them. Their first victim is a posturing Alex Wilder as he stands up and he says, I take responsibility for all this. Womp. Yeah, he gets <laughs> Womp. Prompt, promptly scorched to a corpse and ash. So realizing they are outmatched and at the insistence of their parents, the rest of the runaways escape from beneath the ocean, leaving their parents to their own fate. Uh, So that's 
that's kind of where we end the good die young. The epilogue issue, we kind of see the after effects of what happened. The pride's actually been exposed. Uh, after the kids make their way to the surface, there awaits Captain America, who <laughs> kind of reminds me of Monster Squad when the kid sent the note yeah. to the army. <laughs> Only and not as ridiculous. <laughs> hey, so army the, guys, there are monsters. We gotta check this out, fellas. <laughs> so I love that movie. There stands, there stands Captain America. So anyway, in the epilogue, the pride has been exposed, and the kids get together one last time to rescue old lace. Uh, and at the end of the night, they have to make a decision as to whether they're going to return to the lives that the government and other agencies have provided for them now that their parents are gone, uh, or are they going to continue to, well, they can't escape this bond of friendship that they have. And so at the end of the night, when, the, when it comes to when they're supposed to go back to their lives, they decide not to. And they decide to stick together and continue their adventures. So there it is. The Good Die Young and the epilogue. All right. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, Ronnie Adams, please. What What's your thoughts on our finale here as we wrap things up? Oh, man. Um, it's one of those things where you want them to continue. For me, I was like, man, it can't end like this. This is, you know, this would be super depressing. Um, they, they just watched their friend who betrayed them die a horrible death. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then so they've got to keep on going. And thankfully they do. Not only that, I mean, they've got to be conflicted. I mean, their parents. Oh, yeah. Just possibly died. Their parents are well. dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. these Gibberum were not. They weren't messing around. They weren't forgiving at all. <laughs> um, so it, it's it, I, this this whole thing was like I said. I've gushed over it. I, like it's, it, it's just this this whole storyline. This whole arc is just so fresh and so different from anything I've read in in the you know in my comic book history. That's why I liked it so much. The closing to this made me just want more, 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 yeah. more. It was, this was one of the few books that immediately when I was done with volume one, <laughs> I have to, I have to continue it. I've got to continue it. It just absolutely love this, this whole series. Uh, fitting into the whole, th the, the, this, this storyline, uh, mainly because, uh, I mean, what better, you know, what better person to be, to be the mole man than the most you know the strong <laughs> the strongest of the ones you know he they all had um they all had their special powers but they all have their limitations um you look at carolina or carolina or lucy in the sky she calls herself oh yeah um, fantastic powers. she can fly she harnesses solar energy but a bit of she, a thing this, for nico I, i'm gonna say i think she does well yeah i mean that's obvious <laughs> in, in the beginning but um she has this that metal bracelet is to keep her powers in so if she touches that metal it negates her powers so she, there is a definite there's a definite weakness there chase uh talk back is his code name he has all these great weapons he's got the the uh the the what what do they call the the fistagons well he's got the fistagons he's got the x-ray goggles oh, and yeah. the and the the frog Leapfrog. Uh, leapfrog. But he doesn't have a clue how to use them, really. He's just going, he's guessing as he's going along. He's, he's making it up as he goes. Then you've got Molly. She's, you know, Hulk level almost strength. But when she overexerts herself, she passes out. She's sleepy. She mm -hmm. takes a nap. Nico uh, has this powerful, powerful magic, magical staff, uh, but she can only draw on it when she bleeds. Uh, so she has to cut herself or get somebody or, you know, some, something that, you know, she has to physically harm herself or something, you know, blood has to come from her. So this staff will come out. And when it does, she can only use the spell once. Yeah. Yeah. That's Otherwise, right. there's consequences. That's an interesting um, power. 
I love it. And then Gertrude, uh, uh, Arsenic, uh, you know, Sister Grimm and Arsenic. Uh, Sister Grimm was Nico. Arsenic and Old Lace, she has this psychic link to this fantastic creature. Uh, they, they feel each other's pain. Uh, she, the, uh, This dinosaur, genetically modified dinosaur, does anything that she tells it. It's basically a giant puppy to, when it's around her. But she also has a genetically modified dinosaur following her around. Yeah, that's not normal. So that can be a, a weakness as well. So, you know, uh, other than that, what does she have? Mm-hmm. You know, not much. Then you've got Alex Wilde. The only thing that he's got is his wits. Yeah. You know, his he, he is a fantastic leader. He has, uh, you know, he's very smart. Uh, so he has, he's the one that starts decoding the books. Uh, he's the one that, that pulls everybody together and keeps them together. He is seemingly the strongest one. Out of you know, as far as personality, as far as character goes, and he doesn't really have for you know any weaknesses that you can see other than being you know a human, other than being quote unquote normal. So he doesn't really have any weaknesses, but his one weakness is he's a coward, he's evil, really. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, so it, it was an interesting dynamic that to take all these people with these you know fantastic powers or you know weapons or whatever that have some sort of flaw in and take the one that. It's almost flawless and make him the traitor. Yeah. He's the weak link. Yeah. Because once he goes, I mean, that's the. Oh, it's on. I mean, like. You know, and and he's the one that dies the horrific death in the end. Oh, yeah. He gets all this. There's all this pomp and circumstance throughout that whole final issue where he's like, this is what I did. You know, the classic villain stuff. This is what I did. This is how I did it. Blah, 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 blah. And he's and he's justified in what he did in his own mind. He's justified. Yeah. And he did. He's decided this for us. Even when the giant showed up, you know, he's like looking. His parents start to say something like, no, I got this. Look, I'm the one that did this. And then in classic kid fashion, you don't know what you're getting yourself into there, son. Right. You don't know what be smart about stupid stuff. Remember when to keep your mouth shut uh, and you know when to hold them. Got, and you know, know when to fold them. <laughs> uh, you know when to walk away and know when to run. I loved the fact that Alex ended up being the mole. Yeah. Can I can I just say that? For the first time in a long time, and this really helped contribute to my enjoyment of this book, when it finally was revealed what the master plan was all along, you know, when we finally got to the big reveal, the big twist, it actually made it actually made sense. Yeah. Like I could follow along with everything that was happening. You know, everyone's motivations made sense. You know, Alex wanting to protect his parents made sense. You know, the fact that he sort of orchestrated the forming of the runaways and kept them on the run long enough for him to execute his plan when the time came. It all it all fit very nicely. It all fit into the narrative extremely well. I thought that, that it really was brilliant. No one turned into a building that, you know, it, there wasn't some long rambling explanation for what was going on that made no sense. You know, it was just, hey, you know, these are the people that gave our parents the powers. This is why they were motivated. I learned that a couple of you were going to betray uh, and kill my parents. And I'm here to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, fuck your couch. Great. Perfect. I'm, I'm with it. That being said, my favorite panel of this entire book is Alex with the staff and the gloves and the whole kit and caboodle. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah that's that. If I, if I weren't married and had kids and had to be a responsible adult, I would totally get that blown up and framed and put on the wall. That is a beautiful <laughs> piece of art. <laughs> 
and uh, the fact that he had all of their weapons and he's the powerless one, but mm-hmm. yet he gained all of their, you know, oh, outsmarted them all. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the greatest, good. the greatest so, superpower is the one in one's own mind, which I thought was right. it was a brilliant way of, of doing that. That that's really it. That's all I have to say about it. I I really enjoyed how this all came together. I thought it was a very satisfying conclusion. As for myself, I think that you both did an awesome job as to explaining the strengths that this book has had. I really can't add a whole lot else to it other than my personal opinion, which is I really enjoy the way Brian K. Vaughn can tell a story. Uh, it's repeating from what we talked earlier about when we were getting mm-hmm. into the book. It's this guy can tell you a story that will keep you turning the page. He does a great job. This makes you care about yeah, the characters. This compared to what we just read with Dark Side War. One of the things that we said was, well, I'm sure you guys have heard of Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. You can tell a simple story and not have it be so overblown. We had, what, what, how many characters did we have from the overarching Marvel Universe show up in this book? I think it was three, Cloak and Dagger and <laughs> Steve Rogers, Captain America. So that's it. And the others that did show up were background players. They weren't integral parts of the story. They didn't need them. It was an easy story to tell. There wasn't anything complicated. All in all, what you have you right here is you just got your uh, a mystery thriller on your hands. Who is the yeah. guy? A spy thriller? Who's the, who's the mole? How are these kids going to deal with it? And it's it's fun to see their take on how or Brian K. Vaughn's storytelling in regards to how these children deal with the fact that their parents are supervillains. When you're reading this, Brian K. Vaughn makes you think that a teenager is telling these the story, is talking when you mm-hmm. when you're reading these characters and the and you know their thoughts and and the dialogue and everything else. It's just he, like you said, he can spin a yarn, man. He can tell a story. That each of these characters were so well developed and so rich. The one that you wanted to be successful, the one that you wanted to be, you know, stand up and be the leader of the group, turns out to be the villain. Oh, yeah. The most, yeah. The the most trustworthy one is the most tragic character. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Let's get out of here. Uh, I, I really don't have much else to say other than I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to read this. I don't think I've read this before. I think I might have read volume mm-hmm. two uh, or the, the second series or whatever it is of of runaways brian k vaughn i think wrote it again right ronnie Mm -hmm. and then joss whedon takes over for a little bit i might have read joss whedon's run on it but either way either way i grabbed it i I can remember it definitely wasn't this story i'm glad i had the opportunity to read from the very beginning and 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 enjoy it one uh every, every every little bit okay ronnie yeah. Ronnie Adams, let's 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 do plugs here. Let's let's get into this. What do you, sir, have out there in in podcast land? Right now, uh, I have a show. <laughs> a show. I have a show. It's you called mind. Screen Boy Podcast, where we look at pop culture, nerd culture, kind of stuff. Uh, movies, TV, comic books. Well, mostly we leave the comic books to here, but uh, uh, video games, anything that you can be a fan of, we talk about and. And we even make some pro wrestling discussions on there. Okay. So <laughs> I've done that once. I remember it being a part of that. I, I'm CP. But uh, so we, we're out there in podcast land. Uh, we just dropped and it's going to, I mean, well, I'm going to drop it tonight, uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, you and I discuss the comic cons that we've been to, the conventions that you and I have been to, We, uh, which was uh, River City Comic Con, North Carolina Comic Con that was in Durham. We had Greensboro Comic Con and Fayetteville. In Fayetteville, North Carolina. So we just discussed, you know, kind of what uh, 
what we saw there, you know, what we liked about it and, uh, you know, what, and I discussed a little bit of what I didn't like about one of them and, you know, I didn't have a, you know, one of my experiences wasn't that great at one of these cons. So if you want to know which one and what it was, tune in to iTunes, tune in Stitcher and the Radio Legend Broadcasting Network to catch the Comic-Con special of, well, Comic-Con episode, not really special, of the Screaming Boy podcast. Uh, we've done, uh, we just released two old episodes in, a, in our Stranger Things Volume 2 episode last week. So we had, we went into my archives and blew the dust off of a couple of unreleased episodes and put those out as well. It was the <laughs> Here in My Car Week special, which tells you how long ago it was, Mark. And then uh, we did the Mystery Science Theater 3000 the new uh, the new series special on that as well so we've got a bunch of stuff out there we're on any kind of social media that you can't imagine yeah just search scream boy podcast on facebook at scream boy pr on twitter scream boy podcast on uh instagram there's all kinds of con pictures on there lots of cosplay going on there it was uh it was there was some really good cosplay at these conventions and there was some really bad cosplay too but i took pictures because it made me sad <laughs> there was one gentleman at the north carolina comic-con in durham that was dressed as cable and his was a completely homemade costume and it was fantastic and actually rob liefeld was at this con and we were all sitting in an, a panel that was being held by rob liefeld and he actually he got called out he's like dude you look amazing i have to get a picture with you and i was like you have to take advantage of getting a picture with him because he charges for that crap so um and the guy laughed and he ended up getting a picture with rob life um so there's lots of lots of cool stuff that was you know that's been happening that's going to happen check us out uh, like us subscribe all that good stuff and i'm done now mark what else we got on the agenda okay so how about we talk about november if you're listening to this on youtube right now presently as we speak tomorrow is our damn you hollywood review of justice league it co- coincides with the episode that dropped today which is the justice league dark side war to, on the 22nd uh homecoming if you will uh, the night before Thanksgiving is our Metal Hammer of Doom Thanksgiving spectacular. Every year we pick an album that either is terrible or silly or something off the beaten path and we review it for fun and profit. Uh, this year we are looking at Poison, Look What the Cat Dragged In, and I have a little special announcement about that. We're going to play a game on that show called Is Poison Dumber Than a First Grader? So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, we. Had, this was a. Well, I, I'm going to. The entire Rattledge family is going to be a part of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So oh. if you've ever wanted to hear my daughter read lyrics from a Poison song and my wife explain her reading level, uh, this is the show for you. <laughs> so that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> and on Black Kingpin Friday. Oh, no. uh, oh, no. <laughs> November 24th uh, is on trial. Batman very Superman. I will be prosecuting and Sean will be trying to defend it. Trying, trying, trying. Next week on the uh, Rattled and Broadcasting Network, we'll have... Um, this, if you're listening to this on the Rattle Gym Broadcasting Network, will this drop Monday, November 27th? And tomorrow will be our review, our damn you Hollywood review of Coco. 
And then we are back on track with a new album. Um, it's one that Ronnie Adams has desperately wanted to hear, and it's uh, one of his favorites. Stop it. It's Cannibal Corpse, Red Before Black. New Cannibal Corpse. I've actually heard of them. Yeah, they've been around forever. Yeah. So uh, we've got that. So Our next big event here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network is Star Wars Week. That's the week of the 18th through the 22nd. Source material will be reviewing uh, Star Wars, Princess Leia. We'll have a Damn You Hollywood review of The Last Jedi. The Metal Hammer of Doom will review Galactic Empire, their self-titled debut. And then on trial, we'll put The Empire Strikes Back on trial. So Wait. A lot of fun. Yes. Why, why Empire? Because it's the hardest one to prosecute. Oh, who's prosecuting it? Um, maybe me. Play in a second. Dear God, man, I don't envy you. No, I, I purposely took one that was almost impossible to find faults in because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yes, you are, because I... It's revered. Yep, pro- it is I'm revered. Yeah, I'm prosecuting, so I will uh, prepare for nitpicking. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, you can go give that Rattelich in Broadcasting Network Facebook page a like to stay up on top of the great podcast that we have to offer. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, right here at home on the blogtalkradio.com. That's blogtalkradio.com. You can go in there, search the archive, just type in Rattelich, R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H, and you can find a bevy. That's right, a bevy of shows. At your disposal, we talk wrestling, we talk MMA, we talk comics, we talk metal, we talk movies. It's on there, ladies and gentlemen. All you have to do is search in the archives, go up there to search and type in something that you're interested in. You may find something that we've covered, most likely. As for source material, we are closing in. I think this is episode 139, so 140 is right around the corner. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of stories and a lot of content that this this podcast has brought to all of you. So if there's maybe a story or a book, a story, uh, a story you might be interested in. Uh, there, if, there might be something there that we've talked about. And if you want to read it first and then maybe check out our discussion on it, that's the best way to do it, as, uh, in my opinion. Uh, everybody, if you're listening to this live, have a great and happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. Enjoy your time with your families. If you're listening to this afterwards, I hope you ate enough to put yourself to sleep. Big old food coma. And you had a fun time with your friends and a fun time with all your cousins and aunts and uncles. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That's Ronnie Adams. That's Mark Radlich. I'm Jesse Starcher. Ladies and gentlemen, bye-bye. Absolutely. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag you that ass. <laughs> now, um, that, uh, that's not going to go well. Okay. Well, I think we're <laughs> we're going to switch gears and talk Please. about <laughs> we're going to talk, talk about another Hulu series. Let's go from the horror to the teenage storyline. <laughs> when are we getting a Dazzler movie or a Dazzler TV show? Bam! You got yourself a winner. Fox, are you listening to me? Cancel Gotham. Cancel no. it. Get rid of it before it goes any further and, cre- and creates more havoc and replace it with a Dazzler show. Who's yeah, the single biggest female pop singer, pop star right now? Like, who is the the Britney Spears of 2017? Is it Taylor Swift? 
Probably Taylor Swift. Please put ta make Taylor Swift the new Dazzler. And you put, shut your mouth. No, Brad. wait. Let me let me pitch it this way. Make Taylor Swift Dazzler, but do it in a meta way where she's doing all the Taylor Swift stuff, like getting into relationships, being a nut, breaking up those said relationships, and writing songs about it. <laughs> Please make that the show. She's wow. Dazzler. The, the real fear is somebody as listening to this and that they will listen. <laughs> that is my great fear. You know what? That means really. There are this, uh, this evil giants and the, or these evil giants. They might be giants. It's a brand new album. They might be giants flood. No, I'm not your friend. I'm not your only friend, but I'm a little glowing friend. But really, I'm actually your friend. The canary in the yellow with the light switch. Who watches over you? Sing a little birdhouse in your <laughs> Sing a little birdhouse in your soul. That's Someone get the hook. Get the hook. Say, <laughs> I'm the only the bee in your bonnet. I'm the only bee in your bonnet. Sing How a little birdhouse you know, in your soul. <laughs> I love they might be giants. Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. All right. Do you have your Facebook chat up? Uh, yeah, I can. Can you please click on the link that I just put in there? <laughs> What in the world? <laughs> I will not. I will not click on that. Just, just who would you like to share with our listeners? Uh, the no, album review? no, you would not. <laughs> the album review I just unearthed. Here we go. Why would you? Why do you torture so? <laughs> I, I just, I just want to read. I want to read a little bit of the first paragraph here. Brazilians bedecked in black ski masks and promo shots with a band name like Goat Penis and proclaiming <laughs> themselves as purveyors of black metal. You know that this release is not going to be for the faint of hearted. Goat Penis? <laughs> They're Ronnie Adams' his favorite band. Are we, like, done now? I no, mean, Mark, Mark, we all just paused and we're like... Uh, Ronnie, you ruined my more life. More final thoughts. You <laughs> <laughs> ruined your life. Mark Rowlich. No, when to hold him. When to hold him. Son of a... When to hold him. Go penis doesn't penis. cover that. Uh, well, now I'm going to look. But, <laughs> Just uh... kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Why would you look at that? You know that's not a thing. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you guys have heard of KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Oh, I thought you meant the band. Not the band. Have you heard of the band Goat Penis? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> There's... And the it's, fact that... Hang on, it, hang on. Because Jesse asked an important question before. Does Goat Penis have covers? They do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they cover... That's such an important... Ronnie's actual thought about thought the comic... On, just on what we're supposed to be covering. When is uh, the February show? In February. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie Adams. February 19th. Have you heard of the band Goat Penis? You deserve that. Uh, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, what I say originally? Uh, originally, you've got it. You've got it set for. Originally, you had it set he for was, the 15th, I think. Yeah, he was 15th. almost done. He was okay. almost done. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> what are you talking? About? Anyway, you were almost all the way through your plugs. <laughs> <laughs> you were almost there. Home uh, free. I don't Mark's care. Like, no, wait. Let's write the schedule again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That's Ronnie Adams. That's Mark Radlich. I'm Jesse Starcher. Goat penis. Oh, Have a good God. One. <laughs>